Well, welcome to Psychology of the Bible. Uh, for those of you who have been listening for a while, you know that we've been looking at God's Word to see what He can teach us about uh, the human mind, the human condition, uh, really human experience. My name is David. I pastor a church here in Evansville, Indiana, and I'm joined with Ed Durow. Uh Ed is a fantastic counselor in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Together, we've been journeying uh, through a lot of different topics that I think have been really relevant. Uh, Ed, how are you today, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, David. You know, here in the midst of the holidays, there's a lot of talk about family and family members and how we get along with each other. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about the prodigal son. And uh, hopefully that will introduce uh, more discussion specifically about the character of Jesus, which will be appropriate for this Christmas season, in which we are recording this. And uh, this is one that means a lot to me personally. So I'm yep. excited. To talk. This is going to be a great conversation. And, and as you said, we've kind of just come off of Thanksgiving for context, kind of where we're coming from in our headspace. We just came out of Thanksgiving. We're rapidly marching towards Christmas. And so uh, I, I think this is a fantastic and interesting story. I think a lot of times when we hear the story of the prodigal son, um, we kind of infuse our own thoughts and our own bias onto the story and we lose some of the more intricate details and and nuances of the story uh, which kind of help us kind of navigate our own lives and the lives of others too as we're you know we're we're both fathers and uh, we're both sons and you know there's just a lot of complexity Uh, so i mean i'm excited to talk about this story yeah absolutely man um i thought i'd jump in by just summing it up uh, it's, it's, I think, one of the longest parables that Jesus describes, and I, I think it's a very important one, and one that I'm uh, deeply inspired by personally. So um, it, it's in Luke chapter 15, and it's a tale of a son who demands his inheritance from his father, squanders it, lives in destitute poverty because he you know, goes off and lives the high life, but he blows all that money. Um, and uh, in the midst of that poverty, he eventually breaks down and humbly returns home and is surprisingly welcomed home by his father in, in a loving embrace. And the tale goes on to tell of how the older brother has a hard time with how his father is celebrating the return. And we're gonna talk through all of that. Um, I know I personally relate a lot to the younger brother because I, in my own family of origin, am the younger of two brothers. (laughs) And um, we we kind of run a cool parallel to this story because uh, my older brother stayed closer to home and was very uh, tight with my parents. And I was um, insatiably adventurous. I traveled the world a ton, always looking for the next adventure, sometimes nearly getting myself killed. I got a lot of crazy stories I can tell. And, um, you know, I was my own sort of prodigal son in a way. Uh, and uh, it, it's it's a, a story that relates so much to me because also I came across this book um, at a pivotal point in my life after, you know, I've already shared that I was going to be a veterinarian and went to veterinary school for a couple semesters, but then I dropped out. And I came across this book on the return of the prodigal son written by a very wise author named Henry Nowen, whom I highly recommend. And um, that book is what made me want to be a counselor. So that that is uh, another reason why I'm I'm really excited to be talking about this here today. 
Well, and I think that's what happened. You know, when we watch a TV show, we watch a movie, we kind of always, you know, find ourselves in the in the characters, right? You know, like if you mm-hmm. look at the TV show of The Office or Friends, you know, there's two of my favorites. We're like, oh, I'm more of a, you know, this character or that character. I think we do that a lot with the Bible. And, and you've kind of already done that where you're like, I'm more the prodigal son. I would definitely say, you know, I'm more the son that stayed home. I was raised in, in, uh, in a pastor's house and I was not the stereotypical pastor son uh, rebellious. I was the kind of kid who was afraid of, you know, any kind of trouble. I went out of my way to avoid, you know, even a cross look. So I ended up kind of being more the son who stayed home and, and did the hard work and helped my dad and was always around. And so it's interesting to see how, you know, these two characters kind of have this interplay where we assume one is good and one is bad. I think that's kind of the way this story often is looked at is um, the one that goes is bad and the one that stays is good. But I don't necessarily know that we can break the world down into heroes and villains. We're all villains in our own right. And there's good and, 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 and bad in both scenarios. And then that's what I look forward to, to teasing out a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So with that said, let's take a closer look at the three main characters of the story. We'll start with the, uh, the prodigal son himself, the younger son, who demonstrates this selfishness and immaturity uh, in his impulsive choices. He you know, demands his inheritance from his father, which is an extremely disrespectful thing to do in that culture, yeah. or in any culture for that matter. Sure. Uh, kind of saying, hey, dad, you know, instead of waiting for you to pass away, I just want that money now. Um, which is not his money. He didn't earn that money. I think it's worth noting his father had earned the money and promised it to him. It wasn't his money, really. Totally, totally. So he's being very unreasonable and selfish. And his father shows this kind of alarming level of, of love uh, in his willingness to, to, to do that. And we'll talk more about the father eventually. But um, the, the son then goes on to squander that wealth. He blows it on parties and prostitutes and sinful activity like that and ends up in destitute poverty to the point where he's, you know, off working with some pigs and wishing that he would even eat as well as the pigs, yeah. but he's not even doing as well as they are. <laughs> and he, he says to himself, you know, how many of my father's servants are living better than I am right now? Maybe I can just go home and be my father's servant. And again, we'll talk about the father and his loving acceptance of the son eventually, but this is the brokenness that he comes into. And it is worth noting, and I think a very important part of the parable is that when he does return home, he does it in an attitude of profound humility. Yeah. You know, that, that's an important part of the repentance journey. He doesn't just waltz back and say, hey, dad, you know, let's have another go at this. He, he, he comes home in a broken state of humility. And um, that's that ties well into what we talked about in our previous episode, lament, and the importance of, of breaking down, of, of, uh, of not holding too fast to our own pride. Um, and so that's something that's kind of admirable about the younger brother. But, but it we... also describes the, you know, the parable's depiction of the, of the sinner's course. I mean, his season yeah. of indulgence. And, and I think for many of us, we've, we've been there. Uh, well, you've described that you've been there. I, I've been there in my own right. I'm not free from sin, but, but, you know, he's completely abandoned life as he knew it. And uh, I think, you know, this, this overindulgence of sin 
caused him probably for a moment to feel free. And I think that's really why we pursue a life of sin. I think that's why we, we want these things in our life because we feel like they, they allow us to be free. What we don't realize is sooner or later, sinful practices, they fail to satisfy. And, and often what comes in is a sense of regret and shame. And, and it enters our life uh, just as it did for the prodigal son. And, and those things that we were doing that we thought were helping us feel alive are now the things that call us, cause us to feel captive. So he's pursuing all these things that make him in a moment feel free from a, uh, autonomous from his dad and, and he's indulgent in his parties. And then he realizes at the end of it all, nobody's there to help him. All of his friends have left when the money ran out. Uh, and now he's just sitting with a sense of regret and shame. And now he's in bondage. He's in a, uh, you know, a prison of his own making and that's exactly what happens for us when those things stop satisfying our soul. We become a slave really to regret and, and shame. Mm -hmm. And I think we don't always equate the feelings of regret and shame and, and, and guilt with our behavior or our choices. Yeah. And I think we can all be like the younger brother at times. Yeah. Um, but our inheritance from God is not money. It's yeah. love because yeah. God is and we are his children created in his image. So our inheritance from him, what he gives us is love. And thus, when we sin, we are squandering love. Yeah. Whether we're sinning in pride by thinking we're better than other people and that, that can just distort and destroy relationships or in lust where we objectify other people or whether it's in envy where we prioritize material things or status over relationship what we're squandering in every form of sin we can ever commit is love. Yeah. And, and that's the inheritance we end up, like the younger brother, selfishly demanding from God, I want all this love, and we, we blow it on sin. Yeah. You know? Wow, that's good. We use that freedom, we use that autonomy to, yeah, to choose sinful things. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then and a lot of us are dealing with the consequences of that which, you know, obviously there are practical consequences to sin. Um, you know, this guy's now broke and he's eating with the pigs, uh, but there are also deep psychological consequences to sin where we've now created, you know, neural pathways that have allowed things we never thought were possible in our lives to now be, you know, commonplace as habits or uh, whatever. And so I think there are deep, both psychological and practical consequences to, to choosing a life of sin. And, and I think there are moments, we all have them, where like the toothpaste just won't go back in the tube. Uh, something's happened and it's altered the course of our life and, and, and there's no going back. And, and I think we have to be very careful when we reach those moments to, to make sure that we don't, our next decision isn't to try to hide our mistakes or bury our sin, but to confess and to get help so that we don't just give into that life of sin. Yeah, yeah. And the, the antidote to the life of sin is not just some, you know, willpower or some just choose yeah. to be a better person. The, the antidote that the younger son found was in returning to his father. Yep. Yep. The best decision he made was to come back, was to admit that he was broken and come back. Yeah, he didn't just figure it out for himself because he couldn't. Yep. He, he had to come home. And this is the option we have, the only option we have as humans, and especially as Christians, is we don't get to willpower or intellectualize our way into a better, holier life. What we get to do is run home to Christ. Yeah. And, and he gets us right again. Yeah. And that's so... So good. And I think a lot of us, I think we can all relate to that at some level. 
you know, that, that there is a, there is a God waiting for us to come back home. If we're willing to, uh, if we're willing to admit that we're broken, that we've made mistakes. I think that's where pride steps in, where we don't want to admit. And I think that's what we see fleshed out in, in very, in Mary undertones in this, in the story, as he's eating with the pigs, he's kind of rationalizing. Well, even my father's servants, you know, they eat better. I think he's rationalizing. Well, he might not accept me back into the house, but at least he might accept me somewhere. You know what I mean? And so he's kind of rationalizing like, Hey, maybe at least he put me somewhere and, and not really thinking he'd fully get complete and total forgiveness. Totally. Which is a great point on which to transition to the father, because in that state, he then re-encounters the father, who would have been very reasonable to uh, accept him back on those terms. Okay, you'll you'll be my servant, you know, after this great level of disrespect you showed. It would have been a a reasonable, uh, logical response. But he he doesn't do that. He runs out to greet his son in this embrace, you know, and it's this emphatic show of... of, uh, passionate, caring love. He's he's delighted to see his son again. And he gives him this nice robe. He puts a nice ring on his finger and he says, kill the fattened calf. That was a really big deal in that culture. It was like, you know, the big festival of the year was when you killed the fattened calf, right? He's like, this is the biggest thing that's happening all year, right here, right now. You know, forget whatever the the special holidays are or whatever our personal celebrations were. This is, this is it. And he's so excited and he's so loving that you see it not just in his uh, behavioral response, but in his emotions. He's yeah. showing this passionate delight, this, this uh, elated nature. He is just in a celebratory state at his son's return. And that's so passionately, beautifully empathic. Yeah. And honestly, he has no reason to be. In, in, in a very human and real way, the father has every reason to turn his son away. He has every reason to say, I told you so. He has every reason to say, you know, hey, these are the consequences of the decisions that you've made, you know, now go on. You know what I mean? Like that, none of us, if we had read this story and the father turned him away at the gates, we'd all be like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. I mean, it just, you were hurt, you were taken from and taken advantage of. And it just, yeah, yeah, you have every right to. Uh, and, and yet he didn't. And it just speaks so strongly to, to God's love for us as we keep making constant mistakes. I just think how God must feel. I just know in my own life, raising three kids, you know, how disappointed I am sometimes in the decisions that they choose. And, and, uh, and yet, you know, on a, on a micro level, you know, my life is what it is, you know, God's got to be infinitely more shocked and astounded at our world and how we continue to invent new ways to hurt one another. And yet God continues to express love and compassion uh, and accepting us as his people back to him. And that's just so overwhelming to understand. It is. And it's, it's a beautiful, inspiring a demonstration of what unconditional love looks like. And that's why this parable is so important because Christ is declaring God's love for us in this and showing us what that means. And we don't deserve it. It's not, it's not something we can deserve. And that's what makes it so overwhelming. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And uh, 
with that, I think it's also worth noting, you know, in Christian culture, we've paid a lot of attention to the father's acceptance of his son's return. And that's very important and it's worth noting. Um, but there's also another overlooked part of the father's love for his son that nobody ever really talks about. And that is that as hard as it was for the father to accept his son back, it may have been even harder for him to let his son go in the first place. Wow. Here's a son he loves this much, that he cherishes this much, who is so disrespectful, basically a slap in the face to his father, and then just decides to walk off. And his father has to let his son go, knowing full well he may never see him again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How hard is that? It's un unimaginably difficult to to contemplate and, and to even to know at what point you reach where you say, hey, you know, this, this is your life. These are your choices. Uh, I'm going to give you all the, I mean, he gives him his money knowing that he's going to use it to harm himself. It's not that he just lets him go, but he actually releases to him resources to live a life of indulgence. Hoping that he would see the end road, hoping that he would see how living this way isn't uh, isn't healthy and come back, but he has no guarantee. And, and that's terrifying. That's terrifying because there are people who live the remainder of their lives in, in that indulgence, who chase the high, who chase the, the feeling of excess and they do and harm and, and squander any way that they can. Um, there are a countless number of people who haven't come back, uh, who, who continue to do that. And so this, this father has no guarantee that he'll actually come back in the story. Yeah, which which would have been heartbreaking, and there in we see again this 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 deep emotional connection, you know, to have to let go, and the delight he shows in receiving back. Yeah, and um, it's so deeply inspiring and reassuring to us as Christians that when we mess up, that there's that level of grace for us. Um, and uh, one of the things that Henry Nouwen points out in his book about the return of the prodigal son is that the role of the father is, is of course a metaphor for God and that that role of the father in this parable is also a role model for us all as Christians to aspire to. It is a calling that this is what we should be aspiring to be in our own lives. Yeah. Uh, not to only see ourselves as someone who can receive that kind of love, but to, to try to be someone who can kind of give yeah. that kind of love. Yeah. Um, I still remember the specific moment that I read that in Henry Nouwen's book because uh, I was sitting in a library in Fairbanks, Alaska. Oh, wow. I recently dropped out of veterinary school and I was spending the summer in Alaska with a couple of friends of mine who invited me up and I had let go of my life calling to be a veterinarian. That ever since my teenage years up to my mid-20s, I was going to be a veterinarian. And now for the first time in a, a decade in my whole adult life, I didn't have a calling. I was like, who am I going to be? What am I going to do with my life? And when I read that part of Henry Nouwen's book, that's when I realized I need to go become a counselor, right? And I also realized I need to return home, <laughs> kind of like the prodigal son, you know, because I had been, I had traveled the world and, and Alaska was just my latest adventure of many. And uh, I, I realized it's time for me to go home, yep. go to seminary and study to be a counselor. Wow. And that's what I picked up all from that. That one moment where, where Henry Nouwen said, you know, try to be like the father. I was like, that's my new calling. That's yeah. what I'm going to do with my life. And toward that end, seminary, counselor, and go home. <laughs>
What a crazy, what a crazy journey though. And, but it's, it's beautiful to see the story in reverse. It's so hard to be living that story in real time. I, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're the prodigal son, if you're the father, um, you know, this is a, this is a gut wrenching, uh, heartbreaking story to play out in real time. And, uh, mm-hmm. It's only in hindsight that we can see the beauty in what God's doing. And I think that speaks to our own situations where we're living in real time here and, and we don't always see how God is working things out in real time. And it's only in hindsight that we go, yeah, God's got this. Um, and so I think the challenge for us is, is in the process to realize there's a, there's a plan that's being worked out. Um, and, uh, and we have this other brother who is kind of seeing this all unfold, I guess, as a, a third character, uh, and, and I don't know if he's not really an outsider perspective, but I, I'm imagining he's kind of seeing this all unfold and going, you know, what's happening? You know, he's the yeah. he's for all intents and purposes the faithful son. He's the one who mm-hmm. stayed behind to help to keep his dad. I'm sure he's the one holding his dad as he's, you know, crying over the choices that his brother has made. He's the one that has been there as the emotional support, the practical support. Uh, I mean, I'm placing a lot onto this story because we don't know the details, but he's the one that's around. Um, And so he has an emotional investment in what's happening. And I'm sure he's started to slowly get bitter over this this decision that his brother made. Hello? Oh, can you hear me? Sorry, uh, you froze for a moment there. Ah. so we might I'm not to... sure how much of that brilliance you missed, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was about a four second freeze. It was just Perfect long... and nothing. Yep. You missed nothing, nothing brilliance. Uh, my point was we have this older brother who's, who's the one around, you know, and, yeah. and, and in his own right, that's challenging, you know, because you're watching things unfold. You're watching how the father is hurting and, and it's affecting you emotionally. And, and there's a lot of, of stuff going on with this brother as well. Yeah, totally. I, I think a good way to sum it up is that while the younger brother was living the high life with his parties, yeah. uh, the, the older brother was living the low life mm. by trying to faithfully serve his father and the family. He was out in the yeah. fields doing the hard, tedious, unglamorous work yeah. and, and demonstrating a lot of meekness yeah. in that. I think in that that willingness to just do the the, the hard tedious work, the, the word that I like to use to apply to the the older brother, I believe, is that he was meek yeah. during that time. Um, and and uh, there's this moment where he's upset uh, about the celebration that his father is killing the fattened calf, yeah. his younger brother. And I I think in modern Christian culture, there's been an unfair depiction of the older brother as if he's being self-righteous or unreasonable somehow. I've seen that a lot. I've heard that a lot in sermons and in books. And I I would disagree with that. Um, I I think we're tempted to think that way because in so many other parables and teachings, Jesus is confronting self-righteousness and when he's confronting Pharisees and things like that. And those are beautiful, important moments. And so I think there's been an assumption that that's what Jesus is trying to do with the older brother here. And the, the problem with that interpretation is that it's really not there in the text. It's not there in the actual uh, words that Jesus uses. So I think when we pay closer attention 
to those words uh, and, and what actually happens in the story is, for one thing, we see that the, the brother's response is fairly reasonable and relatable. Uh, he's not mad about his brother's return, like how dare you come back. Now that would be more of a vengeful, self-righteous kind of response. You know, mm -hmm. that, that would be, if Jesus wanted to depict him as a self-righteous pharisaical character, he would have given that sort of thing. Uh, nor is he even upset about the material wealth situation. Oh, look what he squandered, you know, let's bear a grudge or look yeah. at this ring and this rope. He doesn't pay any attention to the material wealth either. So this isn't like greed that is motivating him. It's actually the one thing he focuses on is the food. Yeah. You killed the fattened calf. That's really good food, man. Right. A very practical thing to be focused on, hmm. you know? Um, and so I, I see the older brother's response as being actually pretty relatable. Yeah. Um, and uh, in that um, it, it's also worth noting that his father doesn't rebuke him as if he had done something wrong. Uh, his father comes out to reassure him, to say, all I have is yours. Yeah. This is the key moment for me in the parable is God's not just uh, accepting back the younger brothers and the prodigal sons. He sees all the other Christians who are like, hey, I felt wounded by what this person does. And he comes to us with the same kind of reassuring love. He comes to the older brothers out there and demonstrates this beautiful unconditional love and says, all I have is yours. That's good. And when I think about that moment when the father says to the older brother, that, that beautiful phrase, it makes me think of the Beatitudes where Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth, right? God is saying to the meek, all I have is yours. Yeah. And God is saying to the older brother in this moment, all I have is yours. That's good. Right? It's so good, but I, I, and I think, you know, and I, and I don't know, you know, if he was trying to block the celebration or if he didn't want to celebrate quite as big, you know, maybe he wanted to just kill a regular calf and not the fatted calf. Um, but regardless, I think in this, in this specific incident, what I found to be most notable is that we've got to celebrate forgiveness, like repentance, coming back to God, turning from our sin demands a celebration. Like I think as Christians, we're so quick to dismiss people who fail, yet the Bible is full of people who fail. Giants of our faith are, are making colossal mistakes. And, and yet what's happening in this story specifically is that there's a celebration of brokenness and coming back to God. And I think in a, in a secular world, when someone messes up, like we've just kind of started in the last five years, this kind of cancel culture, but by and large for, for generations, for decades, people were getting away with this. And, but in the Christian space, we would question people who made mistakes. We treat them different. We often define them by their mistakes. We, you know, we put out there that they're not acceptable. Then we label them as the guy who got divorced or the lady who is addicted to pain meds or whatever. And, and, and we're never really truly able to celebrate and move past people's mistakes and celebrate forgiveness and I think even as a church, we have this responsibility to, to kill the fatty calf when somebody comes home, you know, to, to, to go out of our way to celebrate repentance and whether the older brother was malicious or um, self-righteous or not, there was still something there where he's like, I'm not quite sure we should go that far. You know what I mean? Yeah let's do something maybe, but it's, let's not go that far. And I think that's kind of where a lot of us end up landing is, you know, oh, well, that's great, but no, you know, maybe it's not that great. Uh, but no, it's, it's something that we've got to, got to celebrate. Um, so 
it's worth noting. Totally, absolutely. And and I think um, to to get into the psychology of this, you know, what I've tried to focus on here is how maybe we all have some of the younger brother and the older brother inside of us in different ways and seasons of our lives. And also we all have this calling to try to be like the father. And so really all these characters, while we may resemble one or the other more in different seasons of our lives and our different personalities, but I think we all have some level of all three of those inside of us working us out. We do. And and maybe that's the cool takeaway here. Um, In fact, uh, psychologically speaking, the fascinating thing about saying that those three characters are maybe all inside of us is that it resonates very well with the way uh, Sigmund Freud broke down the human mind. Hmm. Um, he, he saw the human mind as having three parts, and that was uh, the id, the superego, and the ego. Now, let me describe those. The id is the instinctive, selfish impulses that don't really have much regard for morality, even necessarily for other people's needs. It's just the, you know, the selfish, impulsive part that can exist inside of all of us. Hmm. And that's a lot like the younger son in this, yeah. you know, the, the, the prodigal son. And uh, the superego is the moral ideals. Oh, we should, you know, we, we should try to be like the father, this profound, unconditional love, this acceptance, this understanding, what a beautiful role that is. So that's what Freud called the superego. And in between the, the high morals of the superego and the, the very low or absent morals of the id, it, that's where the ego occupies as a, a sort of like functional middle ground trying to make sense out of reality. Like we, we don't really get to live up to the father. We don't want to end up like the younger brother. Yeah. And so that's really where the older brother lies in this. He's a lot like the ego. That's yeah, interesting. Us, you know, that's really interesting. Well, and, and to me, when I read this story and, and I've read it many times, you know, the story, in my opinion, isn't really about the son and his sin, and it's not really about the older brother. Uh, the story is really about the father and his willingness to forgive. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what deserves probably the most attention is that, you know, there is a father that is willing to forgive, that is willing to uh, help us move past our shortcomings and, and, and our mistakes. Because like you said, we can be a little bit of all of these characters, uh, but God uh, is the ultimate father. Yeah, who is really the only one capable of forgiving in, in such a way, uh, because there's so much human that gets in the way of our decision making and our conversations and our life, uh, that, that God's really the only one who can forgive in this way uh, and extend unconditional love. Yeah, a father who loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, which is one of the things we're celebrating here in this Christmas season. And, uh, and this son, who is God himself, uh, loved us so much that he told us this parable, yeah. so that we could better understand God's love. Yeah. Um, but uh, getting back to how we have all three characters inside of us kind of jumbled up in our minds, I think that's such a, a cool thing that Jesus taught us. And it's, it's worth noting that when Freud gave us that breakdown of the id, the superego, and the ego, that was groundbreaking and it's been so important in psychology that people still use that framework to this day. Wow. Um, and it's very influential and very important. And here Jesus came up with a similar framework roughly 2000 years earlier, right? And so it's one of those things where psychology has some really cool stuff to offer us, but only 
in as much as it already reflects the deeper truths of the Bible that preexisted it. Well, and I think it's, and we see this play out in the scientific world, regardless of where you look, you know, science is kind of always playing catch up to what the Bible's already taught us. Psychology is kind of already playing catch up to what the Bible has taught us. I mean, um, it's only when we kind of can reflect, that's why I don't really think that there's a dramatic difference. You know, a lot of people have this conflict between science and, and scripture or science and psychology and scripture, but they pair well when you understand it through the lens of scripture, that they're not always at conflict. In fact, I'd argue they're almost never at conflict when we uh, filter them through the lens of the scriptures. Uh, and, and that really helps us understand the, the, complexities of the scriptures like we read them uh, as frivolous kind of devotionals or short 30 second you know stints but the, the scriptures really do uh, have a lot to say about how we live uh, in our lives and it's fascinating when you start to point that out as you've done yeah yeah and it give us gives us a lot to chew on internally as we think through you know how we can uh, repent of our own younger yeah. brother prodigal son tendencies how we can strive to be like the father and, and how we can also be a lot like the older brother at times trying to yeah. just make sense, yeah. sense of it all. Yeah, we can all, we can find ourselves in, in the narrative for sure and, and help others journey through that as well. Again, you know, we talk about the importance of counseling. We talk about the importance of being involved in a community of faith, um, you know, knowing that, you know, we need one another um, because, we've all been one of those characters. So we need one another to help us uh, as we navigate sort of, you know, our, our own personal lives. And so anyway, I think it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful story of redemption. Uh, it's a story of redemption that we all hope and pray is uh, the story of our own lives as we kind of are all just one bad decision away from, you know, making a mess of our own lives. We, we pray that the story of redemption is is our story. We know that it is. And uh, so it does give us hope as well. So I think this is a, a really, really, really wonderful um, story and conversation. And I think this has been a fantastic kind of, uh, I don't know, teasing out of uh, this, this passage. And I'm not sure if we even gave the passage in, in Luke 15, uh, but certainly we encourage you if you want to dive deeper into the scriptures uh, to do so on your own. Luke, uh, Luke, uh, is a great way to, to find the story and, and, and see what God's saying to you through the story. Is there anything else you've got to, to add to this, the prodigal son, Ed, before we close up? No, I think we've pretty much covered it. Um, it's been a great discussion and uh, I'm looking forward to talking more about uh, Jesus and his teachings uh, in future podcasts, as well as uh, maybe focusing on, on Mary and Joseph in future episodes as we move closer to Christmas. I think it's great. Well, certainly we want to thank you for taking time to listen to this podcast. If you find value in the content of this podcast, we invite you to, uh, to share it with others, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. This really helps us as we continue to provide encouragement. And as we're kind of wrapping up our year, this is kind of the first year we've, this is the first year we've done this and we're seeing a lot of great success. And we thank you for, for continuing to, to support us and to share it and uh, to listen. So uh, Ed, thanks so much. It's been a great conversation. I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you too, Dave. Yep, take care.